Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Mindful Matters podcast. I'm Elaine Clark. Thanks for tuning in. In today's episode, I have with me Josh Cohen, who is a lawyer and Toronto-based yoga and meditation instructor, and he shares with us his decades of experience and wisdom in meditation and mindfulness. There has probably never been a better time to start a meditation or mindfulness practice, so I wanted to bring Josh on the show today to help us better understand the value of these practices and how we can use them as a catalyst to overcome difficult circumstances and emotions. Josh has over 20 years of experience practicing and teaching meditation, and he has conducted numerous workshops and seminars in Toronto and in various locations around the world. He leads the mindfulness components of several yoga teacher training programs, and he specializes in teaching beginners the principles of establishing a meditation practice. He has an ongoing Thursday evening drop-in class on Zoom with the Meditation Channel at Downward Dog Yoga Center in Toronto, and he's also co-leading an inaugural 50-hour mindfulness teacher training course that has just recently launched. So I want to thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. Let's just dive right in. Josh, it's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you, Elaine. It's great to be here as well. So I'm wondering if you could just start by giving us an overview of how you got into this world of yoga and meditation. You've been on this path for quite some time now. And from what I understand, you actually started your career in law. Yeah, that's right. I was a law student out in Vancouver. And the summer before I went back to Toronto to start my articles, I visited a friend who had a yoga tape. And at this time, yoga was just beginning uh, to become more and more in vogue and popular in the popular culture. So I tried it and I enjoyed how I felt and I did it the next day. And the next day I was even a little bit better because I understood a touch more what I was doing. And when I came back to Toronto, I ended up taking out a uh, DVD from the library and would practice it after bar school. So bar school would be a couple hours in the morning, but then you'd have the rest of your day free. So there was a lot of free time and I would practice it in the afternoons and evenings. And as I started to practice it on a more and more regular basis, I began to notice the changes it was starting to instill in me both mentally and physically. And um, so to fast forward, I got called to the bar, but I decided I didn't want to practice right away. And I ended up going to India for six months. And while I was over in India, along with doing yoga, people were talking about this 10-day silent meditation course. And I ended up uh, enrolling in it. And it was a Vipassana-based teaching. And it really started to uh, resonate with me and it ended up transforming uh, the rest of my path as when I came back from India to Toronto, I decided that I didn't want to go right back into law. And instead, I did a yoga teacher training course in Toronto. And um, instead of uh, going back to law, I ended up teaching for about a decade in Toronto, mostly uh, restorative yoga and meditation. And uh, and I still am. So it's been uh, an interesting path for me. I ended up going back to law 10 years ago. And so I'm doing both the law and the restorative yoga and meditation components. 
Yeah. Well, I love that you explain uh, the meditative process through the concepts of physics, philosophy, and psychology. Uh, I've seen a really interesting evolution of yoga in the past 10 years, you know, that I've personally been in the industry. And I think that we're really starting to see now, you know, the Eastern and the Western philosophies come together uh, and really adding sort of a richness to the practice, almost like a, a tapestry. Uh, but there's also some really interesting interesting distinctions between them. As someone who's now been in the industry for over two decades, how have you seen a gradual blend of, you know, these two worlds? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, when I first started, yoga was really beginning to take, get a foothold. And um, the studios that I would practice in, the focus was mostly on the physical side of it, the asana portion of, of the greater scope of yoga. And uh, meditation was still somewhat in its infancy as far as becoming more and more well-known and well-practiced. Um, what I started to see was how uh, one particular person, John Kabat-Zinn, brought over the Eastern teachings of Vipassana and gave it more of a Western nomenclature uh, mindfulness. And he began to institute these mindfulness-based stress reduction programs in hospitals for helping people deal with acute trauma and stress and so forth. And uh, it began to grow. It began to grow from one hospital to many hospitals until it became basically ubiquitous uh, all around North America. Um, at the same time, uh, what I've noticed is that as technology has grown, like via the internet and our phones and etc., there has been this supporting uh, cast of apps that are available to us to help us learn how to meditate. Um, apps such as Calm and Headspace are two of the better known ones. So it's interesting to see how um, what started as a very Eastern sort of esoteric on the outskirts practice a uh, meditation or, or even you could think of just like sort of the hippies would practice it has become now more and more in, uh, integrated in just general society and especially in like the corporate world where they'll have people come in and, and give uh, employees uh, an experience of meditation and, and just generally the wellness movement and meditation and yoga have become huge parts of the wellness movement as we you know, go through this uh, higher pace lifestyle. And uh, especially now during uh, this pandemic where people are more and more stressed than ever and usually working from home, it's really great to have something like uh, yoga or meditation to support the uncertainty and, uh, and just help you to you know, get out of your head for a little while uh, instead of, uh, you know, just plodding through and, and getting uh, bogged down with just the minutia of day to day. Yeah. Well, for anybody who isn't familiar, I'd love if you can talk to us about the difference between mindfulness and meditation. Because I know at some point for myself, I actually thought of them to be one in the same. How are they different? Okay. Yeah. So great question. Um, meditation is a very broad term and it encompasses many different modalities of which mindfulness is one of them and it's actually one of the more predominant ones in the last 10 or 15 years as it's growing in popularity um, so meditation is is any process that helps you to focus your attention in the present moment and 
gets you out of your regular storylines that run through the head. And these storylines are always based on a memory of the past or some fantasy or anticipation, could also be an anxiety of what the future might hold. And so meditation is a technique and a process that helps us to come back more and more into the present moment. Now with mindfulness, what we're doing is we're we're being more and more mindful of what's happening in the present moment. And we usually will use our breath as the primary guide to help calm the thinking mind and bring it back to the here and the now. Um, but there are other types of meditation. One very popular one is a mantra-based meditation. Um, some of the listeners may have heard of transcendental meditation or TM. And that was very popular back in the 60s. I believe the Beatles practiced it. And that is more of a repetition of a syllable or a string of syllables to help ground your mind and keep it in the here and the now. Um, for me, I gravitated more towards the mindfulness because what I found is that it was a little more sustainable in the sense that I didn't have to keep generating these syllables over and over again. I was able to therefore relax and step back and just be the witness of the experience rather than co-creating the experience via the mantra. Um, but there are also many other types of very valid forms of meditation, such as walking, uh, jogging. Um, any type of art where you're, you're focusing and being in the present, like painting or drawing, music, example, uh, for an example, uh, and so forth. So um, mindfulness is uh, something that's become very popular. And part of the reason of that is it's quite simple and universal. You don't have to subscribe to a particular tradition or religion or anything like that. And instead, you can simply practice uh, with what you have. And with what you have is your body, the body's being breathed. You can focus really on any of your sense doors. So sounds coming in, uh, the way your body feels, sensations, and so on. Yeah. Well, you know, I, for a long time, I, I feel like I've been hearing about all of the, the science, the supporting science behind meditation. And there's, you know, there is so much literature and so much evidence based knowledge to support meditation. I'd love, you know, before we actually talk about how to, to start a daily meditation practice, let's just first talk about the supporting science. Uh, tell us how uh, a daily meditation practice can actually change our brain and even help build our tolerance to deal with really difficult emotions or circumstances. Sure. So what we've discovered is that meditation helps to develop what's called the prefrontal cortex in our brains. And this area of the brain is something that is more advanced as far as evolution goes. So it's more recent in the evolutionary path of humans. And it helps in decision making. So it's able to take in external stimuli and weigh it, balance it, just decide what's the right course of action here. Um, so it's sort of a higher level of reasoning. And this is distinguished from a lower area of the brain that's more primal, and that's the amygdala. And the amygdala is the uh, area of the brain that's responsible for fight or flight. So it's scanning, it's becoming hyper aware of threats. And if there's a threat, it'll either cause us to run or to face that threat. And what has happened in modern society is that we become very stimulated pretty much all the time. So it can be very easy for the 
amygdala to also become overly stimulated and cause the body to go into uh, levels of chronic low-level fight-or-flight response. And this, of course, has uh, implications as far as what type of hormones are released into the blood and uh, our blood pressure and, and so on. So what meditation enables the practitioner to do eventually, and uh, what I've read is that it doesn't take very long, is in as soon as eight weeks, they can notice through MRIs that the uh, prefrontal cortex is getting thicker. So it's actually physically changing the structure of the brain. But what meditation does is it allows you to cultivate the observer or the witness. And by doing so, it is, in essence, stimulating and bringing more circulation and attention to the prefrontal cortex, uh, which is also probably why it's starting to change physically and, and getting thicker. So the effects of this are that whenever external stimuli occur, we don't immediately activate the amygdala. The prefrontal cortex can intercept what's happening and using our higher order of observation and reasoning, et cetera, uh, decide is this actually a threat or is it not? And um, the way this works as far as dealing with difficult emotions or circumstances in our life is that these same uh, events are going to happen, but when they happen, we have the uh, capacity now to distance ourselves slightly from them. So we get a little bit more perspective on what's going on using the prefrontal cortex. And then we can decide, um, you know, is there anything we can do about it? Do we need to take action? Or is this something that we have no control over? In other words, we have to let it be. And that really helps us in the form of snapping the identification with what's happening and being able to now give it space. And when we give whatever event or state of being is a rising space, what a meditator learns with practice is that it's bound by the law of impermanence to change. So no event or no state of being stays the same for very long. Uh, they arise, they stay for a period of time, but then eventually they weaken and they subside. And so when we have that wisdom that, yeah, okay, this is difficult what's happening, or this is very intense what's happening, but we know that it won't last forever, it's going to eventually weaken and shift and change, then we can allow ourselves to fully experience it without adding in the egoic uh, fear or desire that will tend to magnify the event and make it uh, usually stronger and by extension more difficult for us. Yeah, well, this is so fascinating, and you know, it's a such a great reminder about the the powerful impact they can have, and how we can reorient you know our energy to the present moment rather than the storylines of the past or the future. Um, kind of breaking down those pathways and building new pathways. Uh, so, thank you so much for sharing that. That was very valuable. And you know, for somebody who's listening right now, how can somebody incorporate mindfulness into their daily routine? What what would be the first place? to start? The first place to start is always with the intention, the desire that you want to get a better handle over the mind and the body and how they interact and that somehow you see some wisdom and some benefit. Maybe you've seen it in others or you've been reading about it or maybe just in, innately know that there's something good about meditation. There's a reason 
why it's stuck around for so long and is in basically every different tradition and culture. So once you have that intention that you want to start, you've really, you know, you've, you've done 90% of the journey and the rest of it is now following through. And to follow through with it, it's helpful to do things that create good positive habits that'll help you to continue with it on a regular basis. And one thing that I recommend to people is to try and meditate first thing in the morning. And there's a couple reasons for this. One is that when you first wake up, you are still somewhat fresh and still somewhat formless. You haven't really gotten into second, third, fourth gear. And so you have this opportunity to really investigate and regulate how you're feeling and how you're going to approach your day. So it's a nice way to um, connect the mind with the body in a harmonious aspect right, right at the start of the day. And the benefits for this will ripple forward into the rest of the day if you do take this time in the beginning. Um, the second reason the morning is really helpful is that you're less likely to have uh, reasons or distractions that take you away from practicing if you were to do it later in your day, like in the afternoon or the evening. Um, so there's a greater likelihood of uh, regularity if you do it first thing in the morning, um, and it does set you for the rest of your day. Having said that, it's really also helpful to try and meditate at the end of your regular workday or as day transitions into nighttime. So it's that pause to reflect and reset and let go of whatever tension or stress you've generated through your day can be really helpful for us if we begin to meditate um, in the evening time. Um, so those are two good ways to start to entrench a practice. And then the other idea is to try to do it in the same area of your home every day. Again, just to help you get into that frame of mind that, you know, this is uh, the place I go to pause and to observe myself and to simply be, practice this difficult art of just allowing things to be with, without trying to change things or modify them and instead just relax and observe. And I just want to say one of the big misconceptions that beginners have is that when they sit down to try and practice meditation, they have this expectation that they shouldn't be thinking very much. And that if they are thinking a lot, that somehow they're not very good at it, that they're not cut out for it. Well, actually, all of us, when we sit down, will experience that busy mind that just won't shut off, that keeps drawing us here and there. And that's a, one of the big insights of the practice in the beginning is just how busy this mind is and how difficult it is to have it slow down even for a couple of seconds. So um, don't be discouraged if you sit down and you realize that you're just thinking the entire 10 or 15 minutes that you've set aside. Um, the benefit usually will happen afterwards. So because you took those 10 or 15 minutes to pause and just watch your mind think, you're discharging it. And as you're discharging all that energy, you'll feel calmer and more relaxed afterwards. And one more tip would be to set some sort of timer. Um, there are really great apps out there, as I mentioned earlier. So there can be some guided meditations that you take, but eventually you want to try to just meditate on your own in silence because silence is what draws out of us all the different uh, uneasiness and restlessness. And as that uh, restlessness arises and we experience it, we're also 
contrasting it with the silence that surrounds us. And so in essence, what we're doing is we're releasing all that mind thought and noise and incorporating some more silence into our mind. And as we do this more and more over time, we find that we become more calm and spacious in the mind and there's less of that internal chatter. So a timer is really good because you may want to quit. You may get restless or agitated and say, okay, that's it, I'm done. But if you set your timer for 10 or 15 minutes, then you'll have something sort of an achievement or a goal to accomplish. And it may help you to get through that initial restless wave where otherwise you may have quit. And uh, just one last thing here about the timer and everything and for beginners is that, um, you know, start start with a manageable amount of time, like maybe five minutes and then slowly start to increase it seven minutes after two days and maybe nine minutes to 15 minutes to 20, maybe to 25 or 30. And you'll come to a point where you realize um, what's the right amount of time for you. And usually for me, it's the the moment where I feel like, okay, everything is settled down. I'm completely calm and grounded. And now I'm just going to relax and breathe and I can get up at any time to complete the practice. Yeah. Well, I I think those are some fantastic tips. And, you know, for anybody that is listening right now and who is maybe craving a a more support, maybe a community to support their their meditation or their mindfulness practices, uh, why don't you, I'd love if you can actually talk to us about the meditation channel, uh, the upcoming uh, teacher training that you're involved in. Okay, yeah. Um, This is really exciting. It's something that launched uh, just about a month ago, the meditation channel via downwarddog.com. And that's a yoga studio here in Toronto. And what it offers are, I believe now there are two community meditation classes that are free every week. Uh, One's on Wednesday, one's on Sunday. I lead the Thursday drop-in. It's at five o'clock. And there are other teachers that uh, lead the Monday and Tuesday classes. So there are these half-hour offerings uh, via Zoom that are run weekly. But what we also started, uh, it began last Saturday. It's a uh, 50-hour mindfulness teacher training program. Um, And it also includes 25 drop-in sessions. But what's really interesting about this program is, one, there's a diverse uh, amount of people. They're, they're coming from all over the world to take it. Um, so you've got this great network and group that's uh, set up. And there's a uh, discussion forum. So there'll be people sharing ideas back and forth throughout the entire length of the program. The program runs uh, basically six months every other weekend. So even though we've launched the first one, there's still 46 hours left in it and a lot of opportunity to to come and and join it if any listener is interested. Um, And there's a diverse faculty as well. So we're bringing in neuroscientists, we're bringing in social workers, we're bringing in people from the BIPOC community. So there's, it's a really diverse way of approaching meditation from many different uh, uh, points of view and schools of thought and people's experiences. So that at the end of it, not only have you uh, developed this great network of friends and fellow like-minded practitioners, but you've got a, a, a very vast approach and uh, array of how meditation can um, impact people and apply to different people uh, in their lives. 
Yeah, I love it. I think it's an amazing opportunity. Uh, I love all of the faculty involved. I think it's just such a fantastic community that, that you know, that has been created and is, is is being formed. So, Josh, thank you so much for taking the the time to be here with us today. Uh, as a way to wrap up, can you share with, with our listeners how they can best connect with you at this time? Yeah, sure. I'd be happy to connect with anyone who has questions about mindfulness and meditation. The best way is through email because with email, I can read it, I can think about it and respond and and we could even uh, generate a dialogue ongoing. So my email address is yogawithjosh at yahoo.ca. And I'll just repeat that again. So it's yoga with Josh at yahoo.ca. You can also find me, as I mentioned, at uh, downwarddog.com on Thursdays, leading a, a 30 minute drop in meditation session. And if you have any questions about the mindfulness teacher training program, feel free to inquire. Um, I will say that many people who take it don't plan on necessarily on teaching, they're just taking it to deepen their own understanding and their own practice. Josh, thank you so much for being here with us today. My pleasure, Elaine. The Mindful Matters podcast is written, hosted, and recorded by me, Elaine Clark. Edited by Karen Zorzi, art by Tawny Stoiber, and music by Bellwoods. If you'd like to support the podcast, please leave us a five-star review and share with your friends and family. Website and resources mentioned in the episode can be found in the episode notes. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Blue Matter Project.